tell you, we do not need to minimize what took place this past week. Ten salvations as a result of some are spectacular. 215 of you helping with this incredible ministry. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you for every ounce of energy you put into that. Uh, that was over $4,000 raised to, to help carry the gospel to the nation. So thank you for making this kind of ministry possible. So I want to pray and just thank the Lord for what happened this past week, okay? Heavenly Father, we're grateful. Thank you for Summer Spectacular. Thank you for Joseph and Molly and their leadership during this week, for all of the volunteers, for everyone who had a part. And Lord, we thank you especially for these 10 children who came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this week because of the faithfulness of your people to share the good news of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for 375 children whose lives were touched and impacted during this week. And so, Lord, we pray for continuing results that seed planted in the hearts of these young lives would continue to, to uh, germinate and, and grow. And, Lord, we pray that many more will come to know Christ uh, because of what happened. So, Lord, we thank you for this. Thank you for what we've heard this morning about what's taking place, not just among the nations, but right here in our own community. We're very grateful for that. And now, Father, as we come to open Your Word together, we pray that Your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Give us spiritual ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are open and receptive to Your Word. It is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, <laughs> we do a lot of talking in our lives. I guess most of us have a lot to say. <laughs> uh, I was reading this past week that the average person uh, says enough in just one week to fill a book of 500 pages. You didn't know that, did you? Uh, so there, there's, there's something about uh, our words that are important. We have things we like to say. But have you ever noticed that a person's last words, a person's final words often hold a very special place of fascination, no matter how much a person may have said up to that point? Some people's last words are trivial and maybe even unexplainable, while others are deeply meaningful. They're words that we want to remember the legendary comedian W.C. Fields said right before his death, all in all, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. I have no idea what he meant by that. Elvis Presley, at the end of his final concert, before he walked off stage, said, I hope I haven't bored you. <laughs> kind of think that was probably an understatement. And then as I've listed for you there in your message guide, Todd Beamer, one of the passengers on United Airlines Flight 93, that hijacked airliner on September 1, excuse me, on September 11, 2001, had his final words memorialized in a cell phone conversation before he and fellow passengers tried to retake that hijacked aircraft, as he said to those around him, are you guys ready? Let's roll. 
And those were the last words of this young man's life. So final words are important. We come this morning to look at the final words of the Apostle Paul. As he closes out his letter to the church at Philippi. In this series of messages, we have entitled, Life Doesn't Have to Be Perfect to Be Wonderful. Now, these aren't famous last words. They're not famous verses like the two we've been looking at the past two weeks. I mean, everybody knows Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We all know Philippians 4.19. My God shall meet all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, the final verses, the final words of the Apostle Paul here, as we find them in verses 21 through 23 of Philippians chapter 4, aren't so famous, but they ought to be. They really ought to be some of the most important words to us this morning because they paint a beautiful picture for us of what happens when the body of Christ takes everything that Paul has been saying to us here in this letter and applies them to our lives and begins living our lives God's way. So let's read these verses this morning. They're printed in your message guide. Paul, closing out this letter, says this, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now I want to look at these verses with you this morning, and I pray as we close out this series of messages, you will walk out these doors more committed than you have ever been before to being the people that God has called us to be. Let me share a few things about these verses with you. And the first one is this. The key word, you can fill in the blank here, the key words in these verses, surprisingly, is the word greet. Three times in these three verses, Paul uses this word. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. This word greet is incredibly important. Let me, let me tell you about it. In the original language of the New Testament, if you go back and study the etymology of this word, the word means literally to draw something to yourself. It means to embrace something. It means to hold something close. You see, in first century Palestine, and even in the Middle East today, and I have been there many, many times, when fa family or friends greet one another, it is not just with a flippant hello. It is with a strong embrace, sometimes a lengthy embrace, and a kiss on the cheek, sometimes on both sides of the face. And I can promise you, if, if you were on a journey 
uh, back in the first century and you met friends or you met family members, that journey would actually be delayed, sometimes significantly delayed, because greeting someone in that culture meant much more than just a casual hello. It was a literal welcoming of one another. It was an embracing of one another. It was an act that demonstrated the importance of another person in your life, so it wasn't rushed. When Paul writes and says, greet one another, he's not saying, tell everybody, hey. That's not what he meant at all. He's saying, embrace one another. Value one another. Treasure one another. Hold one another close. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you realize, those of you seated in this room this morning, do you realize how important you are to one another? Sometimes I, I'm not sure we understand that. How important we are to one another. You see, in a church like this, in a church this size, there are a lot of differences. There are differences in age. There are differences in interests. There are differences in opinion about a whole host of things. But let me tell you something about those differences this morning. Those differences should be completely and absolutely overwhelmed by the fact that we are united in Christ. Now, I haven't talked a lot about this in this entire series of Philippians, and I, I wasn't really sure why. I felt, kept feeling like I needed to bring this out. And then as I was preparing for this message this week, I realized, well, here's why. Do, do, you, uh, do you remember how the church at Philippi started? Do, do you remember the makeup of the people that started that church? Well, that story is found in Acts chapter 16. And it is an amazing story, really. Uh, let, let me share with you the makeup of the church at Philippi as we find it in, in Acts chapter 16. The church at Philippi began with the conversion of a woman named Lydia. Someone that Acts chapter 16 verse 14 tells us was a seller of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. So Lydia was a businesswoman, and she was likely a very wealthy woman because the purple cloth that she sold was a luxury item in that day. Being from Thyatira, which today is located in, in Turkey, she was very likely Asian in ethnicity. We also read that she was a God-fearer. Now, that doesn't mean she was a Christian. It just means she had rejected the polytheism that was rampant in the world at that time and had likely embraced Judaism. In fact, Acts tells us that Paul found her at the place of prayer, the place where Jewish people would gather to pray if there wasn't a synagogue. 
in the city. So Paul found her at the place of prayer. He shared the gospel with her. She became a believer. Church member number one. Then after Lydia, we read about the conversion of a slave girl there in Philippi who was possessed by an evil spirit. Now, this young girl being from Philippi was almost certainly Greek. She was impoverished. She had been absolutely exploited by her owners. You need to go back and read that story. It's an interesting one. She had nothing. But in an incredible act of the Holy Spirit, Paul exorcised this demon from this young girl, and she was transformed. Church member number two. Now, because of what happened to that slave girl, her owners seized Paul and Silas and hauled them before the magistrates there in Philippi. They're thrown in jail, accused of disrupting commerce and disrupting the livelihood of these guys who had owned this slave girl. So Paul and Silas are thrown in jail where they cross paths with the Philippian jailer. Now this guy was likely an ex-Roman soldier who was put in charge of the prisoners. I picture him in my mind's eye. We don't know a lot about him, but I picture him as being kind of rough and tough, a no-nonsense kind of guy who took his job very seriously and probably liked it a lot more than he should have. Now, I'm not going to take time to recount the story of everything that happened in that Philippian jail. You probably remember. If not, go back and read Acts chapter 16. But suffice it to say, the jailer and his entire household were baptized and became Christians. Church member number three, four, and at least five and maybe more. Now, why am I saying this? Here's why. Listen to me. Don't miss this because it is extremely important. The church at Philippi started with a wealthy Jewish businesswoman, a poor, formerly demon-possessed Greek slave girl, and a blue-collar ex-GI jailer. This is not your church-planting dream team, right? I cannot imagine a more diverse group of people. They're from vastly different backgrounds with vastly different worldviews, different likes and dislikes, different opinions about things, different ways of doing things. And yet, when Paul begins this letter to the Philippians and he says way back in chapter 1 verse 8, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, these are the people he was talking about. And now when he comes to the end of this letter, they're the people that he's thinking about when he says, I greet you. The brothers here greet you. All the saints greet you. Those in Caesar's household greet you. We draw you to ourselves. We embrace you. We hold you close. We value you. We treasure you. You see, there was a unity in the church at Philippi. That was not the result of uniformity. It was not the result of everybody being alike or thinking alike. It was the result of becoming one 
in Christ. You know, if we're honest enough to admit it this morning, most of us here do life with people who are very similar to us. Most of us live in neighborhoods with people and we associate with people who look like us and who act like us. We, we segregate ourselves by age and by economic level and by ethnicity and by preferences of all kinds. That is the natural tendency of all people. But I want to share with you some important revelations from the makeup of the church at Philippi. Can I do that? Number one, even though it is the natural tendency of all people to segregate themselves, lesson number one from the church at Philippi tells us that the gospel is not natural. It goes against what is Natural. The gospel is supposed to blow the doors off of our tidy little worlds, our segregated communities. And it is meant to create a whole new community. See, you don't get a rich Jewish fashionista doing life with a poor Greek demoniac. You don't get a blue-collar GI doing life with a wealthy Jewish fashionista. It just doesn't happen. But the gospel, the gospel changes all of that. And I want you to know, you ought to jot this down, John chapter 13, verse 35. This is why Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus didn't say it's your theology that will do it. You just agree theologically and, and people will flood to me. No, He didn't say that. He didn't say it's your activities that will do it or your big church buildings and programs that will do it. He didn't even say your verbal witness will do it. What Jesus said is that our love for one another, the unifying power of the gospel of Jesus Christ will prove who we are and it will prove who we belong to. Not real sure what that was. <laughs> Might be that demoniacs, girls. <laughs> We'll, we'll tread lightly here. But Jesus said, it is our love for one another that will prove who we are. And it will prove who we belong to. And it will draw people to Christ. There is something amazing about all of this diversity out here that God can unite and bring together in Christ so that we value one another and we embrace one another and we hold one another close. So the gospel is not natural. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is this. If we're Christians... 
everything else is irrelevant. Whether we're black or white, Asian or Hispanic, male or female, old or young, rich or poor, whether we prefer hymns or praise songs, organ or electric guitar, whether we like the way something is done or whether we don't like the way something is done, if it is done for the sake of Christ, that's all that matters. Everything else should be irrelevant if we're Christians. We're following Christ together. We're growing together in our faith. We're proclaiming the gospel. We're impacting our community, the nation, and the nations. We're making a difference. And that's what matters. Now, I don't have a lot of time left this morning. What I want to do in these concluding moments is simply run through these verses with you and point out some things that underscore what I've already said. And we're going to look at these as quickly as we can. Seven of them. I'll move through them quickly. Seven truths about the church of Jesus Christ from Paul's unfamous last words that really ought to be famous. I hope you'll embrace and draw to yourself this morning. Here's the first one. The church of Jesus Christ is an inclusive fellowship. It is an inclusive fellowship where every person matters. Paul writes and he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now some translations mistranslate uh, Paul's words here, one of them is the New International Version. It reads, greet all the saints as if this were a blanket greeting. But Paul uses the singular here, meaning greet every saint individually. Embrace every saint individually. Value each one individually. This isn't generic. Paul wants everybody included here. He doesn't want anybody excluded. You remember back in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, where we looked at these two women who were fighting and squabbling, Euodia and, and Syntyche? Well, Paul wants to embrace Euodia and those who may have sided with her, but he also wants to embrace Syntyche and those who may have sided with her. See, he wants to embrace everyone. He wants to draw everyone close because everyone is valuable. Everyone is included. He wants to embrace the church leaders, but he also wants to embrace the church members, both the free people who are in the church and the slaves who are in the church. Each person counted. Each person was of worth. Everyone was included. This is an inclusive fellowship, and none of us has the right to exclude anybody for any reason in the church of Jesus Christ. No matter how we may disagree or have different opinion or impression, this is an inclusive fellowship. And if we are not inclusive, if you do not see every single brother and sister in Christ here as equally valuable, then, then we are not truly the church that Christ has called us to be. So the church of Jesus Christ is an inclusive fellowship, number one. Number two, the church of Jesus Christ is a holy fellowship set apart from the world. Paul says, greet every what? Saint. 
in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul uses this word saint to describe those who are part of the church. You might remember, it's been a long time ago now, but when we started this series in Philippians, we spent a great deal of time talking about what it means to be a saint. Paul used this word in the very first verse of this letter, chapter 1, verse 1. And now he comes back to it again at the very close of the letter. So it's an important word. That word saint means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from the world, and it means to be set apart for God. The New Testament is very clear that every believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. We're to be in the world, having contact with worldly people for the purpose of sharing the good news of the gospel, but we're to also be distinct from the world, bearing witness by our godly lives, bearing witness by our verbal uh, ex ex exclamations to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something, if we're going to do that, we need each other because this is hard. You know, we, we, look at, we look at South Asia and we think three billion people. Wow, this is, you know, so few myths. This is hard. Yeah, it's hard. But it ain't easy here. And we need one another here. We need the encouragement of one another. We need the prayers of one another. We need the partnership of one another. We are the saints of God. Set apart by God, set apart for God. Every one of us has the same calling. And that's what's most important. That's what we must be pursuing. So we're an inclusive fellowship. We're a holy fellowship. Number three, the church of Jesus Christ, this ought to go without saying, but is a Christ-centered fellowship. Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. That means everything we do in the church, everything needs to be centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. As I hope you've seen throughout this study, Christ was central to the Apostle Paul. In fact, in the book of Philippians, the name of Christ is mentioned more than 40 times. That's, that's once every, every two or three verses throughout this letter. Well, you know, just over and over again, Paul says, How I yearn for you for, with the affection of Christ. He says, I want to be blameless until the day of Christ. He says, I long to be filled with the righteousness that comes from Christ. <laughs> he said, my imprisonment is for the sake of Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ. He said, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. He said, have this mind in you that was also in Christ. He said, everyone else seeks their own interests, not the interests of Christ. Speaking of Epaphroditus, Paul said he almost died for the work of Christ. He said, we glory in Christ. He said, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. My righteousness comes through faith in Christ. All that I may know Christ, Paul said. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ. I can do all things through Christ. My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. Church, none of this is about us. Life is not about us. Church is not about us. It is all about Christ. And if we would keep that focus, then it would change everything. We're not a social club. We're not a supper club. 
We're not even a secular club where we talk about all the things that the rest of the world talks about. Our supreme desire and our supreme goal is to know Christ more deeply and to follow Him more passionately. When we come together, He should be the absolute focus of our fellowship, not our own personal desires, not our own preferences, because it is the things of Christ that cause us to greet one another, embrace one another, hold one another close, draw one another to each other. We are a Christ-centered fellowship. Number four, and I love this one. The church of Jesus Christ is a family fellowship. Paul writes and says, the brothers, the brothers who are with me greet you. Because of our new birth, we are members of the same family. Every single one of you this morning who's born by the Spirit of God through faith in Christ is a member of this family. And let me tell you, that transcends any barrier, social, Racial, economic, age. Now listen, families aren't perfect. I know that. You know that. Is your family perfect? Talking about the folks you grew up with. Does does every person in your family live up to your expectations at all times? Of course not. Do family members disappoint you sometimes? Sure they do. Do they let you down on occasion? Yep. We all know that. That's because nobody's perfect, right? We're all in process. But if your family, if your family, you hang together and you care for one another, and just because you're family, you work through things, and the church of Jesus Christ should be just the same. I'm 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 going to... just give you a pet peeve of mine this morning. Can I do that? The church of Jesus Christ in America today has become too entertainment oriented. I come to have my needs met. I come to have my expectations met. I come to have my preferences met. So if you meet my expectations, brother, if you meet my needs, if if you meet my desires and my preferences, then I'll, I'll be there, I'll support you, I'll give. But if not, I won't be. Church, that is not how families operate. It ought to be enough just for us to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and share together in the things of Christ, that ought to be sufficient. That ought to pull us together. It ought to cause us to embrace one another and love one another and draw each other close and value and treasure one another because we are a family. Number five, the church of Jesus Christ is a supportive fellowship. Paul says, the brothers who are with me (laughs) greet you. Where was Paul? Don't let me down now. Where was Paul? He was in prison, right? In a Roman prison. That wasn't a great place to hang out. Besides, as we saw back in chapter 1, there were some folks in Rome who were going around criticizing Paul, using his imprisonment as a way to put him down and advance themselves. 
So to be with Paul in his imprisonment meant to expose yourself to the same tough kind of things that Paul was going through. But there were some there, Timothy we know, Epaphroditus we know, and perhaps a few others, who were there with Paul, standing with him in his time of need, supporting him, encouraging him. That is so critically important in the church. Let me tell you something. People get beat up out there day in and day out. It should not be that way in the church of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to be a a member of this church body, can I say to you lovingly, be a supportive member. Be supportive of your pastor. Be supportive of your staff. Be supportive of the programs and the activities and ministries of the church. I think I've said this before, but there are way too many former pastors. <laughs> there are way too many former staff members. There are way too many former church members who are no longer in ministry, no longer in the church because they were criticized, talked about, second-guessed, undermined by people who should have been supportive. Now, that does not mean there's not room for disagreement. It doesn't mean we're not going to have our differences. But folks... We are in a battle for the souls of men. We're in a battle for the future of our children and our grandchildren and the very existence of the church in America today. And sometimes it seems like those in the church spend most of our time shooting at one another. God help us. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be a supportive fellowship. The brothers with me. Embrace you, support you, encourage you, love you, hold you close. Number six, the church of Jesus Christ is an expanding fellowship. I love this. Paul says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now the particular Caesar or Roman emperor who was in power in Paul's day was the notorious Nero. Nero hated Christians. He unleashed incredible persecution against them. If anybody would stay as far away from Christianity as they possibly could, it would have been the members of Caesar's own household. But Paul says because of the fearlessness and the singleness of purpose that he had and the early believers in Rome had, even those associated with Nero's household were coming to faith. Listen, they were reaching the hardest to reach. They were going out there into the highways and the hedges and and the roads and they were sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And i got to tell you this morning, it is an indictment against any church when we do not see people in the world coming into the church through faith in Jesus Christ because of our efforts to share the good news of the gospel with them. Do you realize so much of the growth in many churches today, particularly in the southern part of the United States, is transfer growth? We are shifting sheep. Somebody doesn't like something happening in their own church, they go to another. Some church doesn't have the latest gimmick or program or the hottest personality, then they go to somebody who does. we We have lost track of the purpose for our existence. We are to be an expanding fellowship, reaching into the world to share the gospel and see new believers come into the family of faith. Even those who the world might think are the hardest to reach. We're to be an expanding fellowship. And then finally, 
The church of Jesus Christ is a grace-oriented fellowship. Paul concludes this letter by saying, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, this is a closing benediction, but it's far more than just a nice way of saying goodbye. Okay, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is crucial to the entire gospel. Grace means God's unmerited favor shown to those of us who deserve His judgment. Without grace, we can't. We can't even receive the gospel because none of us can ever earn or deserve it. Without grace, we can't grow in holiness because we're so selfish and so sinful that if God gave us what we deserve, we'd have all been wiped out a long time ago. His grace is the motivation for us to deny our sinful selves and to live to please and glorify Him. We stand daily, every single one of us, in need of God's grace because without it, we would be quickly consumed. See, God's grace is something we all want for ourselves. But sometimes we don't want to extend it to others, particularly to those who may have offended us or wronged us or that we disagree disagree with. But here's the truth. If the grace of God dwells in our spirit so that we thankfully and joyfully each day live in full awareness of His unmerited favor toward us, then we ought to extend that same sweet graciousness toward others who are part of the body of Christ. Our homes, and certainly our church, should be marked as a grace-oriented fellowship. So there's a lot here. And these obscure, little-known, little-quoted, little-appreciated, little-integrated verses. Paul says, greet one another. Hold one another close. Draw others in this family to yourself. Hold one another close. Why? Because we're an inclusive fellowship, a holy fellowship, a Christ-centered fellowship. We're a family fellowship and a supportive fellowship and an expanding fellowship and a grace-oriented fellowship. I'm going to tell you, if we embrace that today and began to live that out in our lives, you couldn't keep people out of here. And the fires of renewal and revival will begin to sweep across this church family, I believe, in a way you may have never seen before. Unfamous last words that ought to be famous. I pray you'll take them to heart this morning and live them out. That we might begin to be the people God has called us to be. Making a difference here in our church, in our community, in our nation and among the nations. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this time of study in the book of Philippians. And Lord, I pray as we wrap it up today that we'll understand that everything Paul wrote is is aimed toward this one great end that the people of the world might know because of our love for one another who Christ is, that we belong to Him and the difference He can make in their lives. Lord, forgive us when we have been anything short of that. I pray now in these moments you'll move in the hearts of your people if there are decisions that need to be made this morning. I pray they'll be made for your honor and your glory. 
And we ask all this in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing, if you would, please. We're going to sing, take my life, lead me, Lord. We're not going to take a long time here. But if you need to respond, if you need to come to the altar, if I can pray with you, if you need to respond right where you are, would you do that as we sing this morning?